Well, I, I've been blessed this morning from all that's taken place. It's really good. Uh, great teaching from Barry and, and uh, just proves he pays the students more than I do. So uh, that, that's a good thing. I'm not raising my, my pay, so we'll just settle for that. But uh, what, a, what, a, what a powerful teaching. And what a challenge to all of us. I mean, that, that's a lifetime message. You always have to keep stirring yourself up. And, you know, this is what the Apostle Paul encouraged all of us to do, is to continue to stir yourself up. And, uh, and that's, that's what we all need to do. And I believe Andrew's the one that says it, and, and uh, I'll give him credit for the quote this time. But he says, if you don't stir yourself up, you'll settle to the bottom. So is that your quote? Got it from Bobby Crow. Okay, so it, who knows? But uh, from now on, that'll probably be one of my originals. So uh, <laughs> he also messed up my other proverb that I live by just as he was closing the session there and talking about tooting your horn. And the, the proverb I read is if you don't toot your own horn, you might not get your horn tooted. So, uh, <laughs> so. <laughs> messing up my proverb here so you know I'm, I'm excited about what God is doing in our school not only here but around the world and uh, you know we've, we've got some, some really neat things going on and uh, uh, I pastored for contrary to Andrew's opinion I only pastored for 21 years the last 18 in the church that the Lord allowed us to plant but in the 21 years of pastoring, one thing that always frustrated me was that you just couldn't, in, in any form or fashion, seem to get people on the same page, walking in the same direction, getting the same understanding from Scripture. And that was because you, you had people coming in at all different stages of their walk with the Lord. And uh, you'd, you'd have a message on Sunday, and you'd lay a foundation, and then you'd have that group of people. Then the next Sunday, there'd be new people there so you couldn't go back and re-preach that one and so it was always frustrating that you weren't able to to give any kind of uh and, and i'm not sure that the word is correct but systematic teaching of the word of god that you could really begin to impart to people a line upon line precept upon precept type, type of teaching and it was always frustrating as a pastor and so when uh when we were privileged to come up here andrew called and and uh, gave us a, a short version of his vision for a Bible school. Uh, you know, I, I had not ever done anything in ministry but pastor. So uh, being, being involved in a Bible school was a totally new concept that I had never even considered. And so uh, when, when uh, we felt like the Lord told us to do that, and like I say, this was, uh, there wasn't, we didn't have anything uh, all he had was a, was a vision that we were going to do a school. And so when we came up here, uh, I can remember I, I arrived and, and uh, Don Crow was here. And I remember Don and, and I and Andrew met in Andrew's office and kind of looked at each other and, and began to say, well, how do you do a Bible school? And, uh, you know, Don had the most information because I think he'd been to one year of Bible school, if I remember. So we kind of try to glean some information from Don, but we, we begin to just discuss, well, what would you, what do you have in you that the Lord would use to impart to other people that would be of value to them? And we begin to toss around some ideas and, 
And so that's uh, actually how I came to teach the subjects in the school that, that I still teach today or some things that the Lord had uh, shown me over the 21 years of ministry. But we were entering into a new realm, and like I say, there wasn't the first student. Uh, we, we didn't have the first schedule, and so it was all an adventure. But the, the thing that, that was exciting about it is that I knew this is what God wanted to do. And if I ever let my mind kick in and begin to analyze and think about what I did, I would have probably uh, gotten real nervous about the move because we had come out of a secure place and came to a place that at that time there wasn't a lot of security and entered into a new phase of doing something that uh, you had never done before. It was a new adventure. But the thing that happened as we began to talk and develop and, and begin to have some contact from people who were interested in being students, the thing that really began to, to come into my life and the satisfaction that came out of making that decision was to see people who had a desire to be taught the Word of God. And it wasn't a casual, if they felt like getting up on Sunday morning and coming to church, they would, or if there wasn't something else going on. Uh, we had people who were willing to even pay to come and listen to the word. And all of a sudden, there was, there was this uh, pleasure uh, that, that came up in my heart that now I'm going to be able to speak into people's lives who want to hear. That there's a desire there. And, you know, because of that desire, uh, as Barry mentioned, you know what? It, it stirred me up that I couldn't slumber and sleep because I had to have something ready to pre prepare to deliver to those people who were coming with an expectancy. And so all that did was cause me to get back into the Word even more and seek more understanding from God and then begin to realize the responsibility that God had given to me to stand before a group of people who were hungry to hear the truth of the Word of God and so all that did to me is to make sure that what I said, I had confidence that I had got a truth from the, from the Lord and I was giving it out in the best manner I could. And so it caused a, a higher level, level of responsibility in my relationship with God to become established. And so it, it, the whole thing over all these years is such a healthy experience, not only for the students, but I think for the instructors that it, it, call, it brings us to a higher level of accountability because look at the lives that are out there that are going to be influenced by what we say. Now, I always add a little footnote to all of that. I don't think anyone should come in and just listen to a person get up and share and just accept it because they're saying it, whoever they are. And I always tell our students, just because I say it, uh, don't, don't take that as that's the absolute truth. Check it out. Uh, you've got the Spirit of God living in you, and you've got a Bible in front of you, and you can hear the voice of the Lord. And so, you know, what we say, we, we believe we're saying what God has revealed to us. But we're all in a state of growing. None of us have arrived. We don't know it all yet. I met a few people who think they do. <laughs> Matter of fact, we've had uh, several come through the school that uh, were much smarter than any of the instructors. And uh, 
So they didn't glean a lot of value out of the money they invested because they already knew it all when they got here. But, but, but the Lord wants us to understand something. We should be dogmatic in what we believe, but maintain a teachable spirit. And by that, I mean we shouldn't be just tossed back and forth with every wind of doctrine. There should be some things that we're secure in and we're confident of, but we should always maintain that teachable spirit because, you know, uh, back when I was a Southern Baptist and first started, uh, I didn't know anything about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And so if I hadn't been open to receive new revelation, I never would have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so we shouldn't crystallize our thinking and believe that we've got it all now. We should be dogmatic in what we believe but maintain a teachable spirit because there may be something else that God wants to reveal to you. And because of that... It's a challenge every day for every believer to continue to, to search the word of the Lord and let God bring those truths to you. That's the reason the Bible is unique to any other book. It is a living word. You don't read it through and say, well, I've read it now, so I know it. It's a living word which is alive. And the Bible says in Hebrews 4 that it's quick. It's alive. It's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, <clears throat> intents of the heart. And so every day, and here's what I, I try to communicate to the students that are here. I'll communicate that to you. It's a practice that I, I encourage everybody, including myself, is that even all of the information that you receive in the four hours a day that you spend in the, in the classroom, five days a week, that's, that's a lot of Bible study. But you know what? That's still no substitute for your personal time of being with the Lord and in the Word. And there are so many ministers that I've known over the years that all they, their only approach to the Word of God is to get a message. And you find out that those ministers who are only approaching the Word of God to have something else to say, you begin to watch their lives go the opposite direction. And it really comes out to what was mentioned in the prior session, that it's the little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands, is because they are not pursuing the Word of God for their own personal edification. They're only getting in there so they can put it out to someone else. And that will tend to poverty in their lives. And that's the reason you see so many ministers that maybe shoot up the, the ladder of success quickly, but then they fall because they get caught up in ministry rather than relationship. Now, one of the things that we emphasize from day one in this school is that the most important thing to do is to prepare the messenger. And the message will then come out of that life of what's been developed in you. Now, when I first started in the ministry, like I say, I went to pastor a little Southern Baptist church. I had no kind of training uh, in, in any kind of ministry. I mean, I just, I'd, I'd gone to church, and basically that's what I knew about church is what I'd gleaned from sitting on a pew. And so I, I worked hard to develop messages. And I'm, I would labor for hours to get a message. And, and uh, I'd always try to have a catchy title. And I had, I had an older minister tell me one time, said, well, if you have a good title, then uh, 
If you get in the middle of your message and you don't have anything else to say, just repeat the title. But I found out real soon I wasn't even sharp enough to have a good title. So I'd, I'd just get up. And, but I worked hard at, at, pre, at preparing messages. And I can remember many a day getting up at 4 in the morning on Sunday morning to try to finalize and get everything down just right. And, you know, I, I, had, I had concordances. I had all kinds of reference books. I mean, I had a whole library. This stuff. Man, I'd work that out and I'd get up and I'd preach my message. And then in the Baptist church, you know, as our tradition was, I'd have someone in the congregation say the closing prayer and I'd make a beeline for the back door. You know, that's what Baptist preachers do. They could get you. So maybe you don't know anything about Baptist. Charlie and Jill may sing a Baptist song later on. You didn't know the doxology. Now you do. So but I'd make a beeline to the back door and I'd sit back there to shake everybody's hand as they leave and they'd all go by and, and, and uh, you'd always he- hear these comments. Boy, good message, Pastor. Boy, you really stepped on my toes this morning, Pastor. You know, or, or some, some kind of remark. And I kept hearing that, but I didn't see any change in the people's lives. It was the same old routine, week in, week out, week in, week out. And so one Sunday morning, I just made up my mind and the next one came by and said, good message. I said, well, uh, if that was such a good message, what did I say? <laughs> and this guy looked at me right scrum and he said, well, pastor, I don't remember what you said, but it's certainly life changing. <laughs> and if I'm, if, and I'm, I'm saying this as best as I can remember, That was the last time I prepared a message because I thought, why should I labor and work and put all this stuff together and nobody knows what I'm saying anyway? And so what I started to do from that point without anybody's instructions because I didn't know anybody instruct me, I just began to pursue the Word of God for me. And I would search out the Word for me and, and what the Lord began to reveal to me, I'd just get up and share that. And all of a sudden, I began to see people's lives change. I began to, you know, in, in, a, in a Baptist church, and you'd have the same 50 people every Sunday morning, but we'd have a 30-minute invitation. Just as I am without one plea. Now, who, who needs to give their life to Jesus? And you've been seeing those people ever since you've been in the church. <laughs> one more verse. Just as I am without one plea. And so... Didn't see a lot of results. And then when I began to just share what God was revealing to me, all of a sudden I began to see people get born again sitting in their seats without even giving an invitation. And then as I continued to proceed and have better understanding and, and discover the truths about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then we went over and planted the church as the Lord gave us the instruction to do so, uh, I, I just stand up and, and deliver what God had revealed to me, and we'd see people born again. We'd see people baptized in the Holy Ghost. We'd see people healed and set free. And it was just so awesome that I wasn't having to labor to come up with a message. And so what we communicate in the school is that if we'll just prepare ourselves, the messenger, then the message comes out of that. And when it's a message that's been been quickened by the Spirit of God, that's when it transforms lives. And it's not going to be, and and Paul the Apostle made this real clear, it's not by enticing words of man's wisdom. 
But it's by a demonstration of the power of the Spirit of God that's going to transform lives. If just the preaching was what all it was going to take, then we'd have all 90% of the world already saved. But you know what? We, it's not debating. It's not how eloquent we can be. Now, I, I've asked the Lord to help me to become more eloquent. But uh, uh, because I see people like Barry, he just stands up here. He's just smooth, you know, just uh, everything structured and ordered. And it just comes out so good. And I think, well, I wish I could do that. But I can't, and I'm who I am, and this is the way God uses me, and so that's the way it works. And the, the important part about that is we don't need to be those ants walking around with that same kernel of popcorn. Uh, and, and so it would be pretty pathetic if, if we all sounded like Barry or if we all sounded like Andrew and people that we... God created you as an individual with a, a uniqueness that nobody else can come up with. You know, I am always uh, always think about this. Uh, one year, Linda and I were privileged to, uh, to go to Paris, France. She had wanted to go most of her life and the Lord just made it available for us to go and... She wanted to see the Louvre, or however you say that word. It's something like that. It, it's a big place. I mean, a massive place, and it's got all this stuff in it. Uh, and, and, uh, and so there were two things that Linda wanted to see. And she wanted to see the Mona Lisa, the original Mona Lisa, and she wanted to see the Venus de Milo. And so this thing, we only had a short amount of time. This thing is big. So we almost ran through all of the halls to get down. And we got down to the room where the Mona Lisa is. And they had it all roped off and these special lights on it. And, you know, security guards and all this stuff. And, and <laughs> it, it's for sure that I'm not a, a connoisseur of fine art because I just don't think it's that good a picture. I've seen much better paintings than that. But anyhow, this thing is worth millions. And, and they talk about it. They guard it with everything. And then we walked just a little further and went around the corner and there was the gift shop. And I could go in there and buy a Mona Lisa for like five francs. And it looked just like the one that was worth millions. And you know, the Lord just quickened to me the reason that the other one is so valuable, it's an original. The other is just copies. And so the Lord is trying to communicate to you and, and I at all times that our value is because we're originals. And we've got to come out of this thing of, of, of being the cookie cutter Christians, the robot charismatics, and, and begin to let... Let this creator God maintain his creative ability in you. And we've seen it time and time again how we just think this is the way ministry functions. And you know, that's one thing we don't do a lot of in this, uh, this Bible college. We don't teach a lot of how to do this kind of stuff. Because you know what? God knows how it should be done. And he knows your particular gifting and how you're going to be the most effective and so this is why you need to spend time with the Lord and let him 
direct your steps and, and order your ministry. And once again, we talk about ministry, and oftentimes we get this mental uh, picture that ministry means that you're, you're somewhere, you've got to have a pulpit or you've got to have a platform, or you've got to have, but ministry is simply just letting the life of Jesus live out of you to impact a lost and dying world that we're in contact with constantly. It's amazing that as we study the New Testament and the life of Jesus, we see Jesus and his disciples and those who came after him, like Paul the Apostle and, and all of the biblical characters there, you don't see a lot happening when they gather together in a special meeting. Most of the ministry took place as they were in the marketplace or if they were walking by the seaside or it's where they met a hurting people. And the key to that, if you'll study the Gospels real, real closely, you'll find out that, that what made the ministry of Jesus so effective is that when he saw a need, it says he was moved with compassion and he reached out and ministered to those people wherever they were, whoever they were, and under no set religious order. It's just find a need and meet it. And let, make yourself available uh, to let the love of God or the compassion of God flow out of you. Now, one of the reasons we don't see more success in the body of Christ today in, in ministering to people is because we're too conscious of wanting to get the credit for doing it. You know, Jesus healed a man, and the Bible calls it a notable miracle. And then they said, who did this? And he looked around, and Jesus had just slipped into the crowd. Nowadays, if we pray for somebody who has a headache and they get healed, we want to run the front page of the paper. I laid hands on this person, and I took authority, and I commanded that headache to leave. And, and now I've got a headache healing ministry. So many of the ministries that are outlined out there today have no biblical basis whatsoever. They talk about, well, I've got a healing ministry. Did you know every child of God's got a healing ministry? It's, it's amazing how we've taken the wonderful life of Jesus that's supposed to be expressed through us and commercialized it. We're merchandising the anointing. And, and, of course, all of you have seen these folks that are so anointed they can't be touched. We slip in after the praise and worship is over because, after all, we don't need any praise and worship. Because I'm Mr. Super Duper and I've just arrived in town and so... You know, don't touch me. I might lose the anointing. <laughs> and we've, we've, we've taken what Jesus made so simple and we made it so complicated. And Jesus was just saying that if, if we allow the Spirit of God on the inside of us to direct our steps, we need to recognize we're always anointed because it's the Spirit in us that produces the anointing. And, and you don't have to, you know, pray for four hours before you can lay hands on somebody. 
And we need to recognize that the anointing is not something spooky. It's the ability of God in us, if you want to bring it down to its simplest term. And, and I used to hear people talk about this, well, this powerful anointing came on me. And, and so I just started asking the question, uh, how many of you believe Jesus was an anointed minister? Anybody? Well, there's about eight of you. For sure, you need to come to Bible school because uh, we'll get that settled real quick. Maybe I ought to ask that question again. How many of you believe Jesus was anointed? That's a little better. But I, I, I started asking the question when everybody's talking about how the greater anointing. And I said, when do you think Jesus was more anointed? When he stepped out on the bow of the ship and calmed the storm or when he was back in the cabin sleeping? What do you think? <laughs> That's exactly what we need to understand. It, the, the anointing is not... The, it comes from the Spirit and the Spirit isn't any less or any more at any given time. He's constant. Let me know the Spirit of God is constant. It, it, it's only our attitude about that, that that causes the differences. But but the Holy Spirit's always on. And the Holy Spirit in you is always on and ready to go. Now, you know, uh, uh, Peter and John were going up to church in Acts chapter 3, I believe it is. And, and on the way to church, prayer meeting night. On the way to church, there's a guy sitting out front that's crippled. And he was begging for alms. Now, here's an interesting thought. Some of you might not have ever thought about this. But why do you think that guy had him to bring him to the church? There's probably more money down in the marketplace. But he didn't have him sit him in the marketplace. And, because, you know, there's an intuitive knowledge in the world today that church should be where you can get help. Now, the church has neglected that duty, but in fact, God created the church to be the place where people could have their needs met. And so he's sitting outside the church, knowing inside, this is where I can get my help, and he's begging for alms. Peter and John walk by and look at him, and he, they, they, refer to, they say to him, silver and gold, we don't have now. You need to read that in context because these guys weren't broke. They're just saying silver and gold is not the answer to your problem. But notice they didn't say, well, just a minute. We've got to go in and pray. And when we feel the anointing fall, then we'll come back out and see if we can do something for you. This was before they got to church. It was before they sung the first song. Isn't it amazing nowadays we think that we have to sing the anointing down? And I'm, I'm all for praise and worship. Don't anybody hear me negating that? But the reason we're praising and worshiping is because he's already here, not because we're trying to get him to come. We're not doing all of these, the, the preliminaries in order to get God to come. We're doing it because he's here and we're acknowledging his presence. But Peter and John were so conscious of the fact that God was in them, the Godhead was dwelling in them bodily. They were so conscious of that fact that they just said, well, we, we, money's not the solution to your problem, but we've got the answer to your problem. Look on us. 
And it wasn't after they had been fasting and praying and, and nobody touching them before they entered into minister. They didn't have their bodyguards with them to keep all of the people from getting to them. Best we can understand, they were just going to church to prayer meeting. And happened to encounter a lame man on the way and were so confident of the God within them that they had the audacity to say, look on us because what we got is what you need. And this is what we try to convey in school is you've already got it. Sounds like a tape series. I may do one of those. Sounds like a great teaching, doesn't it? You've already got it. And as I visualize my tape album, I think I'll put a dog on the front of it, chasing it, tell us something. What do you think? <laughs> Will it work? <laughs> but we really, the, the, the overall theme of what we share in school is when you receive the Lord and you receive the Spirit of God, you've got everything that you need to live life to its fullest. And so what we, what we attempt to do is, is say it so many ways that you can't miss it that we want you just to learn to turn loose what you've got inside of you. And you develop a confidence not in your own abilities, but on the ability of God on the inside of you. And then you begin to walk and, and let the compassion of the Lord flow out of you. And when you see a need, uh, you don't care whether you get recognized for it or not. You've just got a compassion on the inside. That person's hurting and I can help them and I'm going to reach out and I'm going to minister. And it's about the love of God is what's motivating us. And you know what? The Bible says love never fails. And so when we're reaching out in ministry to reach a lost and dying and hurting people, if it's the love of God that's motivating us, you're going to see success. And once again, we don't measure success by numbers. Another mentality we've got in the United States is that numbers are, are the, the measure stick of success. But success is doing what God is asking you to do at the time he's asking you to do it. That's when you're successful is when you're totally obedient to do what God asks you to do. And, and you can see that from scripture. I mean, Philip went down to Samaria and a citywide revival broke out. There were miracles of every kind. Demons were being cast out. The whole city was being affected. And in the midst of that, the Spirit of God said to Philip, I want you to go out into the desert. And can you imagine Philip saying, well, now, wait a minute. I've already booked this hall for the rest of the week. I've already advertised my meetings. Uh, as soon as I close this meeting, Lord, that'll be next on my, and I'll see if I can't book a nice place out in the desert to hold my next meeting. I'm just trying to get you to see how some of the, the, the thinking in the body of Christ is functioning today. No, Philip left a citywide revival because the Lord asked him to go out into the desert. And as he's standing out in the desert, he sees a chariot coming. And the Lord said, join yourself to the chariot. One man out in the middle of a desert. But he got up in there and, and the man just happened to be 
having some questions about the Lord. And Philip was right there to answer those questions. And he preached to him Christ. And then the man was so changed that he just said, here's water. What, what keeps me from being baptized right now? I mean, there was an encounter. But you know what? It wasn't man's plan encounter. It was a divine appointment that was set up by God. And every one of us need to be aware of the fact the Spirit of God on the inside of us is arranging those divine appointments. That's the reason I don't believe any of you are here just because you didn't have something better to do. Oh, well, we don't have anything to do next uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Let's just go over to Karis Baba College and hang her out. No, you're here because the Spirit of God is working in you a divine appointment. And, and I, you know, I wouldn't be, I'm not going to stand up here and try to say everybody that's here, God has spoken to to become a part of this school. But you're here because God has stirred something in you. Like I say, it wasn't just because you didn't have anything else to do that you made the effort to come. There's something stirring on the inside of you or you wouldn't be here. But you've got to follow that stirring. You've got to take the time to hear. Now, what, what is God saying now? What does he want me to do next? I've made this step. We commend you. You've made this step. You're investigating. And you know, it's when you begin to investigate that little stirring that God really speaks clearly. He'll put things out in front of you to get your attention, but then you have to give your attention to hearing what God has to say next. And every one of you can hear because the Bible is very clear. His sheep hear his voice. You know, that was one of the biggest things that, that we saw when we pastored. People just didn't believe they could hear from God. How did they come up with that concept? Well, religion has told you that it's only the special ones that can hear God. And you little laity people just have to depend on us super dupers to tell you what God is saying. But it was amazing. All those church people that couldn't hear God could hear every word the devil said. Isn't that amazing? I'd hear every week, Pastor, you know what the devil told me today? And I'd say, well, why are you talking to the devil? Why don't you listen to what the Lord is? Oh, I can't hear the Lord. But folks, you've got the Spirit of God living in you if you're a child of God, and He can communicate with you, and you can hear what He's saying. If you purpose in your heart to hear what he's saying. <clears throat> and sometimes you have to lay down some of your activity to hear what he's saying. Because you're so busy doing what you want to do, you don't have time to listen. This is one of the scriptures that, that we don't talk about a whole lot, but it says, be still and know. So once in a while you need to just kind of settle down. And, and listen for that still, small voice. Probably won't be in the storm. Probably won't be in the fire. Probably won't be in the earthquake. Probably be just that little inner voice on the inside that's going to speak to you. It's got all kinds. We give all kinds of terminology to it. A prompting, an urging, an oomph. <laughs> a something. 
But you know that it's not something that you're coming up with. There's a prompting on the inside of you. There's an urging. There's, a, there's an encouraging in, on the inside of us. And that, that's the Spirit of God. And all you got to do is pay attention. You know, it's amazing. Over in the Old Testament, I believe it's the prophet Samuel. Somebody help me out if that's wrong. He's, he's there in the, the voice of the Lord. And he gets up and he goes to Eli, I think it is. And said, do you call me? Eli said, one me. Go to sleep. Second time he gets up and said, do you call? He said, one me. Go to sleep. Third time he gets up and he said, do you call me? He said, not me. Go to sleep. He said, next time, why don't you say, uh, your servant hears, Lord. And the next time he heard the voice, he said, your servant hears, Lord. And the Lord spoke to him. God is speaking. But we need to acknowledge and, and answer and recognize that he is speaking and say, speak, Lord, your servant hears. And that's not just making a decision to come to Bible school. That's something that we do every day as God orders our life. And, and it won't ever come out by your own natural understanding because Isaiah 55 says very clearly his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are his ways higher than ours and his thoughts higher than ours. But you know what? His thoughts are not beyond finding out. In, in, in the simplest way of describing what the Bible is, it's nothing more than God's thoughts expressed in words. So how are we going to know what God thinks? We need to get into his word because he's explained to us. through his, And that's the only way you know other people's thoughts is when they put them into words. And so God put his thoughts down in words and said, Now, I've said this before you. Now, take the time and, and, and learn my ways and learn my thoughts. Forsake your way. Forsake your thoughts. And once again, here's, here, here's something that, that I don't know why it's so hard to grasp. And, and Andrew said it many times. I think everybody that's been up here has said it in some form or fashion. God's plans for you are much better than the plans you have for yourself. He's not going to, he doesn't have a plan out there that's going to bring you harm and destruction. He's got a plan out there that's going to give you life and give it to you abundantly. When I think back on my life and, and you know, just the mercy and grace of God. But I, I love school. I, I, I dreaded the day that I was going to graduate. I loved every minute of school. I don't know why. I, I, just, I just enjoyed the environment of school. And so I got to my senior year, and all of my, my counselors would call me in and say, okay, now what are your plans when you graduate from high school? Uh, what, what study are you going to pursue? Which university are you going to attend? And you know what? I had not the foggiest idea. And I'm not saying this is the right way. I'm just telling you about me. I had no idea what I wanted to be when I finished high school. But I made up my mind because I knew some people that had become professional students. They didn't know what they wanted to do either, so they just kept getting education. And, and so I made up my mind when I graduated from high school. Since I don't know what, what study I want to pursue, I'm not going to school until I know. So I didn't go to college. Just got out of school and went to work and uh, got a job and just was working there. Uh, met Linda. We dated a couple of years, got married. And so I was working, uh, taking care of my family. 
but I still didn't know what I wanted to do. And there was, this, there was no contentment whatsoever. And like I say, I was working, and I, and I thank God my, my parents brought me up with a work ethic that if you don't work, you don't eat. I understood that real quick. When I graduated high school, my dad said, well, you better go to work. And I said, so he said, I've taken care of everything up until this point, but now you're on your own. And if you want a Coke, you're going to have to have the money to buy it. I mean, he was just that way. Loved me. And so I, I was working and always had a job, but I always had two or three applications of something else to do. Because I just I wasn't satisfied with what I was doing. And I had some good jobs, made good money, but I'd always be looking for something else to do. I'm, I, one time I decided I was going to be a Texas Highway Patrolman. So I went down and got all the applications, filled that out, and uh, never turned them in. Then I decided I was going to be a game warden. So I went and got the application, filled all that out. Never turned that in. Then I had this brilliant idea. This was really brilliant. I decided I was going to be a professional bull rider. <laughs> I grew up in West Texas. Everybody was a cowboy. I, I'd ridden some calves, so I figured if, if you could, couldn't be much different. So, uh, and... and my faithful wife, I said, you know, Jim Shoulders has a bull riding school in Oklahoma. I'm going to go up there and learn how to be a bull rider. And, and she said, well, I'll get a job and help you go to school. Bless her heart. <laughs> well, I didn't do that either. <laughs> what I'm saying is I was 30 years old and still didn't know what to do with my life. And, and like I say, I was working sometimes three jobs at a time, thinking that I, if I got more money and I could buy more stuff, then I'd be more satisfied. And, and, uh, and then, then the Lord called me to ministry. And did you know from that day to this day, I've never had any dissatisfaction in what God has asked me to do. And I'm saying that because I can tell you that if you're following after what the Lord has directed your life to be, that's where you'll find the contentment, you'll find the fulfillment, you'll find the joy, you'll find the peace. And you know what? And it really doesn't have anything to do with anything materially. Because let me tell you, the first few years in ministry, we really thought the Baptists were, were correct in their prayer. Lord, you keep them humble, we'll keep them poor. We practiced that for many years. But it had nothing to do with what we were able to gain materially. It was that satisfaction and contentment on the inside and the peace that passeth all understanding. And let me just encourage you, whatever God is dealing with you to do, and it doesn't make any difference how old you are, how young you are, it, age has nothing to do with it, where you're from. I mean, we've even got people in school from Oklahoma. Can you believe that? <laughs> And most of them are making it fairly well. <laughs> but it doesn't make any difference where you're from or where, your background, your age. You just need to zero in and whatever the Lord is putting in your heart, that little still small voice, that desire, that's what you need to pursue. And you'll never be sorry for it. And I can testify we've been doing this 36 years and... Uh, I'm more excited about it today than I was 36 years ago because I got a better understanding 
of what God is doing. And let me tell you, there's a big world out there. Lots of people to reach. And we're excited about what we're doing because we're seeing transformed lives all over the world. And once again, it's not because of the super-duper personalities or special anointings. It's because we bring you all together and say, here's the Word of God that's going to instruct you on how to live the life that God has created you to live. It's going to inform you what you already have. It's going to tell you that you've got the ability to do whatever God asks you to do because he says, faithful is he who calls you who also will do it. I'm telling you, it's a deal. You just go along for the ride and you get the pleasure of enjoying it. And God is just saying, i got a better plan for you than you've got for yourself. And if you want to really experience life at the highest level, just do what God asks you to do. And watch what he does. Amen? All right. It's about time for the bell, so go ahead and take you. Well, and there is the bell. See what a prophet I am?